1: If you have a home but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com/host. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a
2: material? Are crystals a material?
3: Is plastic a material?
2: Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material?
3: What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at you, I've to do- <laughs> And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Real Talk. As ever, I'm your host, Anna Pozhaisky. And this episode, we're featuring our first ever natural material on the podcast, and that is wood. I was joined in the UCL studio by Dan Ridley-Ellis, who is head of the Centre for Wood Science and Technology at Edinburgh Napier University. And I'm afraid that I fell quite quickly into the obvious trap when talking about a material like wood. So, Dan, would you... (laughs)
4: No, we can't make a rule not to have any puns because I can't promise that.
3: (laughs) Um, Can you tell me about your, what's your background? Where
4: where do you want me to start? So I could start with, my background is in civil engineering Mm -hmm. and like many civil engineering students, I didn't learn anything about wood. Uh, My PhD is in steel. Okay. So I'm definitely not an expert in wood, but I managed to convince Napier University that I did know something about wood and now I find myself head of the Centre for Wood Science and Technology there. We're trying to understand what makes the properties of wood how they are. So trying to understand what properties are important for different applications uh, but also how those properties are influenced by the way that the tree grew which is the natural stuff, it's the environment, it's the Um, the species of the tree, but it's also the stuff that we do as humans. So the forest management, the silver culture. So how can we manage the forests um, in a way that gives wood that is useful to us?
3: Okay. so how did you gain your wood knowledge then if you didn't learn it through the academic path?
4: It's quite interesting. In my job, I work in the boundary between forestry and construction. So when I'm with foresters, I can pretend to be an engineer, Um, When I'm with engineers, I can pretend to be a forester and that way I get away with asking sometimes some quite basic (laughs) questions. But it's quite interesting to get that different perspective from the biologists and the foresters compared to the engineers. It's a really good material to be researching because uh, as soon as you think you understand it, something comes along that shows you that you don't really understand it as well <laughs> as you thought. So it's it's a bottomless pit of digging. <laughs> nice. But you would think, you know, wood has been around a long time. You would think that we understand it, but mm. actually we we don't understand all of it. And quite a lot of the things that we do think we understand Actually, we don't.
3: So is it the new scientific techniques that have only recently become available to us that now mean that we can research wood to this really fine level? There are some
4: technologies, new technologies that help. Well, because wood is a natural material, it's very variable. And unlike other engineering materials, we don't manufacture it. The tree grows it with our help. So Mm -hmm. we have some influence over the process. But we don't control it in the way that we do for other materials. And that means we have less knowledge about how it's made, the ingredients and the process to make it. But we try and understand how trees are working that then gives us a clue as to what the properties will be at the end of the day.
3: Cool. So what would be an example of a material property that you'd be able to change by influencing the way that the tree grew?
4: Okay. so properties that we have quite a lot of influence over. The mechanical properties like strength and stiffness. And physical properties like density, we have also quite a big influence.
3: And how do you them. change those?
4: Um, well, they you change them by changing the environment in which the tree is growing, its personal environment. Okay. Because the tree is growing wood for its own purposes. It doesn't know or care about us. <laughs> um, so it will respond differently when it's young, when it's old. Um, because its needs are different, because it's a different sized organism at those points. But it will also, is influenced by the other trees around it. So when you're doing your forest management, you can control how closely you space the trees, um, whether you do any thinning. So th- those are processes. Oh, and also the harvest age. So the, the point at which you decide that you want to to harvest it. Mm-hmm. But you also have influence in tree breeding. It's the same as farming. It's just much, much slower. Okay. So you can select parent trees.
3: Oh, and grow super trees.
4: You can try. <laughs> yeah. With new, You were asking about technology. So technologies like genomics will help speed up that process. Okay. At, the, at the moment, it takes years, which is why we're quite far behind yeah. farming. But we do have quite a lot of influence over the genetics of the tree by selecting. So we can choose, for example, we might like the straightness of a tree or the speed of growth of a tree. Right. And in plantation forestry, we would tend to pick, I say we, other people, <laughs> <laughs> would tend to select the seeds that they think would do well. Okay. So for the timber that we grow in the UK, it's the stiffness is the most important thing. Okay. And the tree's requirements for stiffness change quite a lot during its age, certainly if we're talking about conifers, mm-hmm. which are big, tall sticks. <laughs> so as they get taller, um, their mechanical needs change
3: sure because they have to be able to hold their own weight as well as withstand i guess wind um, and yeah. snow yeah yeah exactly okay so in this country then where where are the forests for growing new wood
4: um most of the forests that we have are in scotland or in the north Okay. There's also forests in Wales. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have in this country, we have forests for many purposes, which would include recreation. They would include ecological stuff. They would include flood protection. Mm-hmm. So there are many reasons for having forests.
3: Yeah.
4: Um, but if we think about wood production as a important function of the forest in yeah. amongst all the other functions, then we would tend to find those kind of forests um, in Wales and um, in Scotland and Northern England.
3: Okay, cool. So in this country then we're producing timber. Is that for building houses and buildings?
4: At the moment we're a big importer of timber. We're okay. one of the biggest importers of timber and we have been for, for a very long time. Even back in the Middle Ages we were a big importer of timber. At the moment it's about roughly a third of the material is going into, a, into some kind of construction use, okay. which might not be the structural timber, it might be some other element. Quite a lot goes into pallets and packaging, which is quite an important thing. Quite a lot goes into um, panel products.
3: Okay, well. so this is creating composites out of wood chips. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. Well, there are, there are engineered wood products, Okay, which is kind of a broad category and you could call things like chipboard and MDF. Yep. But then you've got things like thermally treated wood and acetylated wood, chemically modified wood. Um, So there's lots of different ways, Uh, glue laminated timber, cross laminated timber. So you can kind of reassemble the wood in different ways and at different levels. So you could be working with big pieces, chips, flakes.
3: Um, Okay, and that can further improve the mechanical properties of wood.
4: It can do, yes. Uh, One thing that it does do is it, it makes it more uniform. So quite a lot of the variation in wood properties is actually within the tree. And if you kind of shuffle the wood around, yeah. you will mix it up and you will make a product which is more uniform.
3: Okay, because trees grow in one direction. And so their mechanical properties are not the same in all directions.
4: Yeah, when you said trees grow in one direction, you did a hand gesture, which was upwards. Upwards. Yeah, that's not how trees grow.
3: What? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's go back to basics. Yeah,
4: I mean, we could get into the definition of a tree, which we could spend an entire podcast getting into the definition of a a tree. Um, But the things that we tend to call trees, the broadleaves and the conifers, they Mm -hmm. grow mostly outwards.
3: How do they go up? Uh,
4: Well, they're a cone. (laughs) If you think in very simple terms, they're a cone. And the cone grows diameter. And because it's growing diameter, it also gains height. Okay. So there is some vertical cell growth. Yeah. But most of the important cell growth that makes wood wood yeah is secondary growth which is outwards growth. So it's Hence, cell division underneath the bark.
3: Okay. Hence the tree rings. Exactly. Age. Yeah.
4: yeah. And you see in a temperate tree species you will see the the different wood that's grown during the different times of the year. The light and the dark stripes that you see in a temperate wood are related to the different growing periods of the tree oh, when it's right, doing okay. different things.
3: Yep, either in the winter or in the summer.
4: It's kind of like early in the growing season, the tree is mostly concentrating on growing as as fast as it can. It wants to out-compete any other trees that are in the area and it wants water for that. And there's lots of sunlight, so it can do the photosynthesis. And because it needs lots of water, it tends to grow um, cells that are wide diameter and thin walled and then later on in the growing period uh, it's not got so much water or sunlight something is limiting the growth and its attention more turns to strength so it's put on some extra weight over the fast growing (laughs) period and it needs now to think about its strength so it will tend then to grow cells that have thicker cell walls and because it doesn't need so much water or it can't use so much water it doesn't need to be so porous So the light and the dark stripes that you see are different amounts of wood in the wood.
3: Cool. And in in
4: the living tree, the stuff that's not wood is mostly water. When we've taken a piece out and we've dried it, it's mostly air.
3: Oh, okay. So it's almost like a foam.
4: It is by some (laughs) definitions of foam that you may have heard earlier in this (laughs) (laughs) podcast series. Yes, you could call it a foam because it's if you have a piece of softwood, it's I would say roughly one third is wood okay, and two thirds is air.
3: So if we were to zoom in beyond the level of cells, what are the actual materials that make up wood?
4: So wood is made of cellulose, lignin and hemicellulose. You will find cellulose in all plants. You will find hemicellulose in all plants. You'll find lignin in most plants as well. Uh, But lignin is the stuff that's kind of special to wood. You can't really have wood without the lignin. And uh, one of the analogies is is reinforced concrete. So you can think of the cellulose, which is a long-chain polymer molecule. You can think of that as the steel in the reinforced steel, and you can think of the lignin as the concrete.
3: OK, so it's a composite material.
4: It is a, it is a composite material, and it's assembled at a very small scale. So the cellulose crystalline parts, the microfibrils that are in the cell wall, are much, much smaller than even the cell wall. Um, But that's how the tree is controlling its properties.
3: This is just like a classic example of nature doing materials engineering way better than any materials engineers can do.
4: Well, trees have had a lot of practice at growing wood. Mm, I mean, we we should say that uh, the stuff that we call wood, that we use as wood as a material, is coming mostly from stems of trees. But you will find wood in the branches and in the roots, and you'll find wood in other kinds of plants as well. So you find it in shrubs and you'll find it in things that don't much look like trees at all. Okay. And you will also find things that look like trees that we call trees that don't contain...
3: Oh, no. <laughs> ...any wood whatsoever. Okay. What would be an example of one of those?
4: Uh, well, the banana is the, I suppose, the ter- stereotypical one.
3: Okay. What's uh, a banana tree made of?
4: Well, you call it tree... But yeah. (laughs) And most and most people do call it a banana plant. Yeah. Okay. So some people who are being very pedantic (laughs) um according to a definition of a tree that is only in their mind, really. I mean, we're we're trying to understand or we're trying to describe stuff. We can only describe stuff. We can't define it. Yeah. Because nature doesn't obey our definitions. Sure. Um and we're trying to use words from normal language. Mm -hmm. And normal language is a living thing too. So all we can do is, is try and describe it and maybe we need temporary definitions of things in order that we can both agree what we're talking about at this time. <laughs> yeah. But it's very hard to have a definition that works universally and always works. Yeah. But we don't need one. I mean, you've lived your life so far without having a definition in your head of a tree that works in all circumstances. And that's not been a problem for you until we've started this conversation. <laughs>
3: it's true. And
4: now you're thinking, what?
3: <laughs> Everything I know is a lie. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean that. Yeah, there is no such thing as a tree. Okay. In a hard definition, there are things yeah. that we call trees. Yeah. But it's very hard to pin that down because
3: they're so diverse.
4: They're so diverse, and they're not. It's not a family of things in an evolutionary sense. Right. So it's it's a strategy. It's a shape of something. Okay. So we call a tree a tree because it looks like a tree. <laughs> yeah. Not because it's related to another tree. Okay. One of the amazing things is that we have two species of chestnuts that you'll find in the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. horse chestnut and sweet chestnut. Conker tree, horse chestnut, yeah, and sweet chestnut, the one that you can eat. Mm-hmm. Roasted, very nice. You would think because we call both of those chestnuts, and they look quite similar, that they would be closely related, but in fact they're not. Okay. A horse chestnut is more closely related to broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> than it is to a sweet chestnut. Okay. Broccoli and turnips. No way. It would be closer to a horse chestnut.
3: Evolutionarily speaking, or yeah. genetically speaking.
4: Yeah, because many plants have the ability to grow wood, but not all of them kind of do that to be a tree. Sure. A tree is a solution, it's a strategy. Yeah. It's a and there are many plants that kind of have ability to grow wood and don't anymore. Okay. Unless in certain circumstances.
3: Have humans ever been able to grow wood in their bodies? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Don't think so. You've blown my mind, so now I'm no. just asking stupid questions. No. Well, um, yeah, I mean, we could, going back to the definition of a tree. Yeah. Maybe we can agree that a tree is a plant.
3: Yep. Oh, okay.
4: But if we, no, if we came across a massive mushroom that was tree shaped mm-hmm. we would tend to call it a tree wouldn't we probably and those things did used to exist no way in the past okay so our definition of a tree is <laughs> not necessarily useful but most of the wood that we'd be using commercial wood yeah. um, we would divide into two types hardwoods and softwoods the hardwoods are coming from broadleaf trees um, they 're flowering plants, broadly trees, and then the softwoods are coming from conifers, and conifers are plants that reproduce with cones okay. rather than with flowers so there is a botanical difference between those two, and they 're quite separate on the evolutionary tree they 're quite separate from each other, but the wood it looks quite similar and it works in kind of very similar ways. Sometimes we can't really tell the difference on a macroscopic level between a hardwood and a softwood. But okay. we still have that uh, division of those two things, and they're still useful when we're talking about wood as a material as well. Yeah. Even though the wood is now totally separate from the way that the tree reproduces, we don't care about okay. anymore. And that's partly down to what's what's the wood made of. And in both cases, it's made of the same stuff. Um, but the bigger difference is that hardwood plants, uh, hardwood trees, in the wood they tend mostly to have specialist vessel elements. And those vessel elements are for water transport. And conifer trees don't have those special water transport elements. They kind of have um, general purpose elements that do both the structural stuff and the water transport stuff.
3: Are these the xylem and the flavin? No.
4: Oh. <laughs> uh, xylem is the name of the plant material that's for transporting water from the roots to... Okay. To the point of photosynthesis. Yeah. And phloem is the s- similar stuff that takes it from the site of photosynthesis to where the sugars and the other stuff
3: are okay. needed. And they're not structural?
4: Then, Well, they sort of are. So if, if we're thinking about how wood came about, let's talk about celery. Okay. <laughs> celery, you know, if you leave celery too long, it will droop. Yep. That's because the structure of celery is down to the water pressure in the cells. That's how it's. So we, we, it's the stem of a plant and it's getting that rigidity, that strength from water pressure in cells. Okay. And as it dries out, it will lose that stiffness. But there is lignin in there. So there are, you know, when you break celery and it's got that stringy stuff mm-hmm. in there, that's the vascular bundles. So that's xylem and phloem okay, and it's got lignin in the xylem of those vascular bundles as structure to help the, with the water transport, so if the plants didn't have that, they wouldn't be very tall at all. they'd only be a few millimeters tall, right, so they have that lignin in order to to cope with the water transport and the water pressure and uh, being able to deal with that, and wood is kind of an of a next step it's It's kind of like a protective material as well as a structural material. Okay. So the function of wood might be in order to gain height. Yep. Or it might be to stop being eaten by something.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's talk about the history of wood and the history of humans using wood as a material. So do you know when we started doing that or is that like time immemorial?
4: Um, If you read a lot of papers about wood, uh, a lot of people will say it's man's oldest construction material mm-hmm. i'm not sure we know that for a fact but it's undoubted that we were using wood in very early days okay. and you can you can look at some animals they use wooden tools chimpanzees will use cool. sticks yeah so they're using wood yeah. right yeah um so we would have used wood when wood was available okay and when it wasn't available, we would have used other stuff instead. Yep. So it's been a handy resource. And yep. certainly it's there's no written history as to when we started to use it.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. Does wood,
3: this is be a stupid question, does wood biodegrade so we wouldn't know if there were wooden tools because they would have disappeared by now?
4: It biodegrades these days, but when it was first invented, <laughs> in inverted commas, yeah. um, it didn't biodegrade.
3: What's happened?
4: <laughs> um, uh, fungi came along and developed the ability to eat it. So it's lignin. That's the problematic thing. So yeah. lignin is quite hard to digest because it's, Actually, I don't know where lignin... Exactly, I don't know. Sure. It's quite co- complex and varied okay. in its structure. Um, whereas stuff like cellulose is, is uniform. There's limited ways in which you can have cellulose in a plant material. And that means that if you're eating cellulose, you don't have to develop many different ways in which to get at it and digest it. Okay, But lignin is complicated and it's hard to get
3: at. Which is why we don't eat wood.
4: We do eat
3: wood. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
4: So to go back to uh, the past, the Carboniferous period, plants started to grow lignin, but nothing was around. The fungi at that time were not capable of digesting it, and uh, it kind of stuck around.
3: Yeah.
4: And that's why we have a lot of coal from that period, because it wasn't biodegrading. Okay. And then fungi developed the ability to eat it. And now the wood does not stick around in the same way it did in the past. Um, But getting back to the question as to whether we can eat wood, we can't digest it, uh, but you can consume it and you do consume it.
3: For example?
4: Um, Ice cream. Do you like ice cream? Yes. Well, artificial vanilla is made from lignin. Okay. That's the well-known fact about ice cream. (laughs) The lesser-known fact about ice cream is that it will often contain uh, cellulose that comes from wood also. It's the Stuff that they put in to make it feel more creamy in the mouth okay. without having all the calories of real cream, right? And wood is a pretty good source of cellulose. Okay, and paper making uh, is often we would use co-products or byproducts of paper making in order to make other useful things
3: like ice cream.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there are there are lots of different things that you can make from wood and the components of wood. But they used, I think, they used to make uh, fake strawberry pips out of wood as well.
3: To put in ice cream?
4: No, to put in jam.
3: I'm just obsessed with ice cream now. (laughs) To put in jam, okay.
4: When they couldn't get real strawberries. No way.
3: Mm -hmm. So earlier you were talking about the fact that we're now using much more wood in construction these days than we ever were previously. Why is that? Because we've just been talking about this being a really ancient material that we've known about and used throughout our history. So why have we only just started using it in construction recently?
4: Well, it's never gone away. So we've always constructed with wood. There have been fashions where wood has gone in and out of fashion for various reasons. Where wood is getting a real renaissance is uh, partly in off-site manufacturing, which is the big thing in construction now. So it's making the components of buildings or even whole bits of buildings in a factory and then bringing those ready assembled onto site. And wood is a really good material for that because it's easy to work, it's easy to machine, and it's very lightweight for so, its properties.
3: So you can transport it economically?
4: Exactly. And most of the house, new house construction in Scotland is timber frame manufactured off-site in that
3: way. How is wood recycled or disposed of?
4: In the natural world, it falls off the tree. or yeah. the tree falls over, it lands on the ground. Quite a lot of it goes into the ground. So in a temperate forest like we have in the UK, quite a lot of the carbon that's within that forest is actually in the soil rather than in the trees themselves. But there are then those processes, natural processes, that are breaking down the wood. So that's how it normally goes. When we take the wood out and we use it in a product, there's obviously the life of that product, and we should be thinking about how we're recycling and reusing that product for as long as possible, and when it needs to be changed or turned into a lower form, Mm. so from solid wood into chips, we're doing that at the right stage. And then ultimately, we're burning it after we've got as much value and as much use out of the wood as we can. Presently, quite a lot goes directly to bioenergy, which is not, not necessarily the best way of using the value of the wood. And quite a lot of it does go into landfill, although they're trying to avoid that.
3: Why do you think we as humans enjoy having wood in our built environment?
4: That's an interesting question because there's no doubt that people react to a wooden building differently from how they react to another building. Uh, You will tend to see people touch the wood more than they would touch other materials. It feels warm. I guess people feel more of an affinity for it than they do with other materials because they know what it is and where it's come from, maybe. Right. But it's an area that's been under research. There are a few um, projects that have looked at uh, use of wood in hospitals and uh, in classrooms and supermarkets to see how people's behaviour has changed because of the wood. Um, and there are some conclusions that are drawn that I don't necessarily agree with. But definitely people's behaviour in a wooden building does seem to be a bit different. But, I mean, wood is its a nice material. I think we can all agree. It's a nice material, so we should use more of it.
3: Definitely. So I guess it's the it's that humans trust wood because they know where it's come from. They've they know what trees are, although at least we thought we knew what trees were until we started this podcast. <laughs> they've seen they've seen where it comes from, they can understand it. It's it's obvious to them what it is as opposed to something like perhaps concrete, where there's less character, I guess, in concrete.
4: Uh, yeah, I mean it could be how it looks. It could be how you think about it as a material, but it could be more subtle things because the wood will change the environment as well. The air temperature and the air humidity will Mm -hmm. be different in a wooden building. Yeah, the acoustics will be different. So there are lots of things that might influence how we think about it as a material.
3: Yeah. Oh, so interesting. Where, Where do you think the future of using wood in the built environment lies?
4: We're going to be doing more and more with wood and we're going to be making a lot of other things out of wood as well as buildings so one of the challenges is how we deal with the fact that it is a limited resource and that at the moment we're not using it necessarily optimally so we've got certain we've got a, a small number of commercial species and uh, we need to diversify that for environmental reasons and for resilience of the forest against climate change and pests and diseases. So we do no- we do need to diversify the forests and also to make them look nicer so that people will accept them. But we do rely on just these small number of species and we tend to ignore the other ones. So we have uh, a lot of under-managed or non-used forests in this country and throughout the world and we're not using the wood for anything and we need to be better at using that wood and we need to be better at using recycled wood and reclaimed wood and reusing it so we need to stop thinking about it as being something that we can get as a commodity in large amounts wood is is for building trees so we need to think more like a tree understand what wood is for from the trees point of view and then we'll understand actually how to use it better. Because most of the things that give us some issues in using wood are down to the fact that we're not using it properly or how it was intended to be used. By the tree? By the tree, yeah. Because the tree is, the wood is wet. All the knots and the grain make perfect sense from the tree's point of view. It's only when we take them out and we saw it up and we dry it into blocks and then we go, oh, these are defects. They're not defects from the tree's point of view. It's just that we're not using it correctly.
3: So we need to think more like trees to make wood for ourselves.
4: <laughs> yeah, at least understand what they're doing because then it will give us a clue as to why wood is like it is mm-hmm. and that will help us.
3: Well, are there any ways that people can get involved with forestry and planting their own trees maybe?
4: There are voluntary schemes where people can go and they can help plant trees. Uh, they could possibly more importantly encourage their politicians. Okay. to encourage the planting of trees. They can get a job in forestry and timber. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a big challenge, is that we don't have enough people getting interested in forestry and timber. Oh, really? Because they tend to think of it as an old-fashioned area of work. There are lots of attractive, more potentially more interesting-sounding jobs for young people to go into, and they, they don't know much about wood and work comes from and some of the things that you learn about at school are like you shouldn't drop down trees and Sure. That are that are counter to the things that we do need to do as a society to increase the amount of wood that is being used in place of materials that are less environmentally friendly.
3: But as you've said, there's a huge amount of new technology that's being used in the industry, robotics, CT scanning, to name just two that you've said. Like, it is a high, highly technological field.
4: There is. There's laser scanning. There's stuff that's done with satellites. Pretty much whatever someone says they're interested in, I can get to why they need to look at forests and wood. Amazing. Because, because there's there's almost everything yeah. involved.
3: Well, hopefully some listeners have been inspired to become wood enthusiasts as well and protect the trees and plant new trees and get involved with timber. I hope so. <laughs> um, so if people would like to see more of what you're up to and learn a bit more about you, where can they go online to find you?
4: Well, we have a blog. The URL is blogs.napier.ac.uk slash cwst. Uh, that's mostly kind of in the detailed technical stuff. Uh, but I do have a few musings on there about um, the, the less uh, uh, serious aspects of wood. So that that's a place that I put my thoughts when I have them. <laughs> uh, I'm also on Twitter as Flying Quercus.
3: What's a Quercus?
4: Quercus is oak.
3: Oh, cool. Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Dan. It's been really great to chat to you. Thank you. So that was my chat with Dan Ridley-Ellis. Thank you very much to him for coming on the show. Now I'm joined in the UCL studio to answer the questions this episode by Jamie Upton. Hello. Hello, Jamie. Hi. Listeners will be hearing from Jamie next episode. But for now, you're here to help me answer some questions. Sure am. And have a balloon hit you in the face. Yeah. So our question this episode comes from Emma Milner. Oh, hey, Emma. Who asks, why does a balloon burst if you pop it with a pin and make a tiny hole, but if you just open the end, it simply deflates?
2: Mm, that's so, a great question.
3: We're going to answer this question in the studio live. Mm. So Jamie is holding an inflated balloon there. It's true. I've given him a pen. Yeah. Go ahead, Jamie.
2: Oh, scared. Right. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So
3: what you did there is you put a pin in the balloon and it went bang. It did. Right, so what I think happened there was that because the rubber is stretched really tightly over the air pressure inside, yep. once you make a tiny little hole in it, that rubber can quickly like rip apart and make a loud bang as the air escapes. Yep. However, I'm now going to pass you a balloon which has an open end. <laughs>
2: powerful set of lungs on Anna there.
3: <laughs> okay. Now I'd like you to just release that slowly into the microphone. I'm actually dying here.
2: The simple comedic taste of Anna Plozyski there. <laughs>
3: So as we've just heard, when you empty a balloon from the end, the balloon is designed so that the hole, that hole at the end is reinforced. It's kind of turned over a few times, a few layers of rubber. Um, And that means that the rubber doesn't rip suddenly and empty with a bang when you empty the balloon from the end, but it releases the air more slowly, sometimes in a comedic way.
2: Yeah. So another way that you can demonstrate this, which is quite interesting and again is going to work great on a podcast, is a magic trick using a balloon, a piece of sellotape, and a pin. Uh, The pin here is provided by a UCL uh, STS badge. Lovely. Uh, Other university departments are available. Um, So the pin, I'm just going to stick the pin into uh, a part of the balloon that I've reinforced with a piece of sellotape. Mm -hmm. So we'll just push that in there. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Luckily, I've got a second balloon
2: here for you. What might be happening here is that you've inflated them with helium. Yes. Shall we try inflating it with just normal air?
3: What's wrong with helium?
2: Oh, now I want to go.
3: Helium's really fun.
2: I mean... That is that is quite something, isn't it? I I'm always interested by when people do helium balloons. I think there's a placebo effect tends to go on where like the regardless of whether the helium's done its effect, people were just start to tart like the. So wait, this is my so this is my baseline baritone sexy voice. Okay, now oh right, fucking hell. <laughs> I don't know It's also made my voice um, I've become Joe Pasquale (laughs) (laughs) And I Oh what's that Going over there (laughs) Oh hello (laughs) And now This is my normal voice And then it's Settling back in Just talking Talking Getting all the helium Out of my voice And we're back to normal
3: (laughs) Great Very nice Yeah so do you want to do any, Do you want to try that one again?
2: Yeah, yeah. So now I'm going to show.
3: So Jamie is now reinflating the balloon using his lungs, and not inflating it quite so much.
2: So I've put a little piece of sellotape on part of the balloon there, and now I'm going to use the pin. I'm going to stick it into. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the problem here maybe is that I'm no longer magic. Um. Uh, where I used to be. I've lost my magic touch. It does work if you do it right, though. Right. Yeah.
3: So that's it for this episode. Lots of you have been giving us some lovely five star reviews on iTunes. Mm. So thanks so much for those. <clears throat> and don't forget you can say hello to us on Twitter at Realtalk. That's R I A L Talk. And let us know what you think of the podcast. <laughs> So until next time, thank you for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Real Talk (laughs) before you can say bananas don't grow on trees.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.